this morning. It is good to be here. What a glorious day it is today, right? For those who swam in the Indy uh, Mini Marathon yesterday, how nice would it have been if it had been today? Amen? Wow, what a nightmare that was. But it is great to be here with you on this glorious day as we continue in the Easter season. Remember that Easter, the season of Easter, is not just one Sunday, uh, but this continues to be the Easter tide season. And so it is good uh, to be here with you in this season. Uh, this morning, uh, we're going to take a look at a book that we don't always, perhaps, or even frequently, I should say, look at, which is First John. And so I invite you to hear these Words. Here's what John writes. He says, We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. This life was revealed as we have seen it and testified to it and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. And this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not know what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Sisters and brothers, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, and let us pray. God, we gather together this morning as brothers and sisters in Christ, looking to you for the hope of our salvation, for what you have done through your Son, Jesus the Christ. We celebrate his life, his death, and his resurrection. Give us insights, Lord, into the difference that that makes in our lives, even today. And may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen and amen. So, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago, but I just want to reiterate the fact that from the birth of ZPC. From its genesis, uh, we have been about making disciples, right? Remember the, the mission statement called together by God to make disciples and release them for service in our broken world. And there's lots of different ways to try to understand what exactly a disciple is. And what I've encouraged us to do during this season of ZPC's life is to think about it through two prongs. You know this by now, hopefully, but Uh, We have to keep reiterating it to make sure we don't forget, which is the first one is to be shaped more and more like 
like Jesus, right? Uh, Our lives, as scripture says, are becoming brighter and more beautiful as God enters into them and we become more like him, right? And so that's what we talked about in the fall. And then, of course, during the winter season, we talked about, about how a disciple should also be building for God's kingdom, right? So we thought about the Lord's Prayer, reflected on the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so if we want to be about making disciples, then what that means is that we are about a church that is about being shaped more like Jesus and building for the coming kingdom of God. But here's the thing. Growing in discipleship, being shaped more like Jesus, building for God's kingdom, those things will not just happen. And it does not do for us just to simply say those things or put them up on a wall someplace and say, isn't that wonderful? And feel as if we have accomplished anything. And so the question that we have to keep asking ourselves is this, how do we actually do those things? How can we be shaped more like Jesus? How can we build for God's kingdom? And while there may be many ways, I think there is one primary way in which we are able to grow in our discipleship. And that is through the means of relationship. This is, of course, what we see in the life of Jesus Christ, is it not? Jesus came to this earth. And what did he do? He invited people to be in relationship with him. He was always inviting people to be in relationship with him. But not only that, Jesus also cultivated a community to be in relationship with one another. Remember, he had 12 disciples and these weren't just kind of one-on-one conversations or mentoring with, you know, that he would have at at his local coffee shop. Uh, uh, This was together, right? If you look at the life of the, or you look at the gospels, you can see that they were oftentimes they were always together, and sometimes they got along well, and sometimes clearly they were annoyed with each other. Um, uh, and so you see the sense that what Jesus is doing is he's creating space for relationship with him as God and for them to have relationship with one another as well. And the ways in which we grow in our discipleship is through relationship. Jesus didn't do this through a particular program. He didn't have like discipleship event and said, this is, you just go to this event and then after that you are going to grow in your discipleship. No, no, no. He revealed by the way that he lived. So we could look this morning then, if we want to talk about the importance of relationship, we could look obviously at any of the gospels where we see Jesus doing that. But I thought maybe it would be more helpful today for us to look at this first letter of John. John 1, where he, or 1 John 1, where he begins to talk about relationship, where he begins to talk about fellowship, where he begins to talk about what it looks like to be together. So, so here's what John does. John begins with this really long sentence. I don't know if you look at it, you can see just how lengthy it is. It's a really long sentence, and in fact, the verb comes really late. That's not interesting probably to most people, but... Um, I get to stand up here. It's interesting to me. So here it is. And what he's doing is he's making this great proclamation. He's making this declaration of the gospel. And he's saying, here is the good news. Now, oftentimes, John Stott brings this up. Oftentimes, when we talk about gospel, we just equate it with salvation, right? But what John Stott says is that, well, what John is talking about here is when he says, here's the good news of the gospel, he actually doesn't use the word salvation. He uses the word fellowship. He uses the word koinonia. Now, salvation is important, but as Stott says, what's important is to see that the way that salvation comes is through relationship, right? So 
And here's the word. It's one of those few, there's always a few Greek words that most of us know. Cutting edge churches usually name themselves after a, a Greek word, you know. Have you ever seen that metanoia? You know, um, um, I was thinking we could do that here. Any, is that cool? No, oh no, okay, that's great. Well, scratch that. So here is what, the word koinonia, right? And koinonia, maybe, how many of you have heard that word, koinonia, maybe? Several of you, yeah. I mean, I, I, there are discipleship studies, you know, that are called koinonia. I've been at uh, one church I served, uh, they had a koinonia room, right? And so what koinonia means, typically it's described as fellowship, right? Or, or a shared partnership, or as I want to kind of explain it, as, as kind of a, a reconciled relationship, right? And this is throughout this letter, you see this word koinonia used again and again. Paul uses it some, but John really loves this word. And so he says, okay, uh, um, you need to be in koinonia or fellowship. Now I want to take just a brief step back to say one thing, which is that, just hang with me for one moment, which is that John says, he brings up the Father and the Son. He's making this allusion to the fact that the Father and the Son are actually in koinonia with one another. In other words, they are in fellowship with one another. They are in community with one another. Now, he doesn't bring up the Holy Spirit, but the reality is that we as the church believe that the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Trinity, is in fellowship, is in koinonia with one another. It is, it is a divine community. Uh, and I want to bring that up, and I'm going to talk about this even more in two weeks, but I want to bring that up because it's really important to see from the very beginning, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was in relationship with one another. They were in community with one another, right? One of the symbols that we have for that is what's sometimes called a Celtic knot. You can see it here. This is kind of an ancient symbol that is used to try to describe what this looks like. And you can see you kind of have the three there, but then of course it's also one, right? This is an image that we have some, and this is what we'll talk about even more in a couple of weeks. I've mentioned it a while back now. Some have called this a dance that they have with one another. Perichoresis, which means to dance around. This is what the church fathers say. But, but the thing is that this is a living and breathing kind of thing where the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is in community with itself. Now here's why that's important. It's important because if we are made in the image of God, and if the image of God, or, or if who God is, is community and relationship, koinonia, fellowship, then that means that we have been created in order to be in relationship, in order to be in koinonia, in order to be in fellowship. That, in other words, from the very beginning, Right? Someone has said we are conceived in relationship. And then for the first nine months, you are apprenticed in relationship as you are in the womb. You could not live on your own. I don't need to do a biology class here, right? You could not do that on your own. And when you come out, right, then you need others in order to take care of you. And oftentimes, even though we like to think, oh, no, we could do this on our own. We could do, you cannot. We were created in order to be in relationship with those outside of yourself, to be in koinonia. It's who you are. You can run from it if you want, but you will stunt yourself if you think you need nobody else. 
So then what John says is in verse 3 he says, and here's the thing, you now, because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you now can be in relationship with God the Father and God the Son, and we would suggest God the Holy Spirit as well. That we now can be in relationship with God. Here's a part of the gospel of the good news, which is that you are called to be in relationship. And that's really important. Because one of the things that churches struggle with at times is because they are so caught up in the hustle and bustle going hither and thither. We should call ourselves Thither Presbyterian Church, even better. Who's with me? All right, fine, then we'll go with Koinonia. So, is, is that we can get so caught up in all those things that we can forget that first and foremost, hear me now, first and foremost, we are about relationship. And in this sense, we are about relationship with Jesus Christ. And if we want to grow in discipleship, that's only going to happen in relationship. Now, that's important to know. Here's the thing. Research has shown that the way in which your brain is wired and then continually rewired is based on relationship, right? We see that oftentimes, of course, with, uh, with infants and then with the young about how they, are, how they develop is oftentimes by, based on their social structures and the relationships that they have. But that continues into adulthood. And if you want to be shaped more like Jesus— right, that's a part of discipleship, then that means that your relationship with Jesus needs to grow and to deepen. Because the longer you spend with Jesus by doing things like reading scripture, praying, worshiping, by acting as Jesus acted, by, by following his example, by giving as he gave, all of those things, the more that you will look like him. Remember in the fall when we talked about this? And we talked about the fact that Again, that, that research has shown that, that the longer you're married to somebody, the more you begin to look like that person. Right? This is scientifically proven. Remember, they had those judges, and they were independent judges, and they just had individual pictures, and they had some of people who had just gotten married, and maybe once in a while they would pair them right, but, but it was just pure luck, and it wasn't even that often. And then when they were called, asked to pair together people who had been married 25 years or longer— that they got it right an incredible amount of times? I know this makes some of you nervous, and some of you should be nervous. Right? And there's lots of reasons for that, you know. You smile a lot. If you have good, life, good lives together, then you have, you have smiley wrinkles that begin to look more alike and whatnot, right? But the point is, the longer you're with someone, the deeper your relationship, the more that you quit looking at your mom and dad. They don't look alike. The longer your relationship is, the, the more you just begin to look like that person, right? And it's the same thing with Jesus. The longer that you are in relationship with Jesus, the more that deepens, the more you begin to look like him. But again, this is all rooted in relationship. We have to be clear that God is not a distant God, but he is a God that we are called, that we have the freedom now because of Christ to be in relationship with. Now, you may be saying to yourself, well, that's all very elementary, Jesus, or Jesus, Freudian. Jerry, uh, big difference, big difference. Uh, I, I, um, I know some of you are like, I knew he thought he was. I'm not. So <laughs> that may seem very elementary to you, right? Oh, yes, of course, of course, you know. The good news of the gospel is that we now can be in relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay, that's wonderful. But here's the thing. 
Pay attention to this. John is not stopping there. In fact, John goes on to say, oh, no, no, no. It's not just that you now can change your relationship with God. No, no, no. John says, you also now, because of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done, it changes your relationship with others. The word that John uses, koinonia, fellowship, being in shared partnership, relationship, a reconciled relationship, the same one he uses for how we now can look at God, he turns around and uses that exact same word for how we now are called to look at one another. That your relationships with those around you has changed. Doesn't Jesus say that? Remember a couple weeks ago, when was Easter? It feels like a lifetime ago. When we talked about this, and what did Jesus say to Mary? Jesus said to Mary, go and tell my brothers. It changes the relationship we have with one another. Now, that's important. One of the things that I have been criticized about during my ministry is the fact that oftentimes um, 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 people would, might say that I talk too much about community and not enough about the gospel. Now, I have to say that, you know what, I get criticism from time to time, and oftentimes I actually understand it. You know, we talk about sometimes people will say, like, oh, Jerry, he's just way too loud. He's too obnoxious. And I, it's, I am. It's totally true. I get it. I can't change. And if you're waiting for me to change, you really should move on. Because it's probably, I mean, I just can't. It's just who I am. If you don't believe me, it's genetic. Look at my third daughter. Hyper loud. Where does she get that? Her mother and me. Right? It's just who we are. But this is a criticism that I never understand. Because you see, to me, it's to make a false dichotomy of the gospel. Yes, the gospel is absolutely about being able to be in relationship with God in a new way. But it is also absolutely about being in a different kind of relationship with those people around you. If you don't believe me, don't believe, don't listen to me, listen to, first, listen to John. 1 John 4, you can look at it a little bit later. What does it say? It says this. If you say that you are in great relationship with God, whom you cannot see, but then you hate your brother or sister who you can see, John says, you are a liar. And as Protestants, we oftentimes try to make the good news of the gospel just this renewed relationship with God, and that is not all of the gospel. It is also about shifting our relationship with others. That is the whole of the gospel, which is why if we want to grow to be more like Jesus, then we have to think about not only how can we deepen our relationship with God, but also how can we deepen our relationship with one another. Now, let me be real honest why I think, if I can be honest with you all, why it is I think that oftentimes we would prefer as Christians to just think that the good news of the gospel is a changed relationship with God. And that's because I think oftentimes it is a lot easier to think we're just to, to, to be in good relationship with God than it is to be in good relationship with others. Being in relationship with others can be a nightmare at times, Right? Thank you. A couple of honest answers here. Yeah, absolutely. Right? It can be a struggle. And here's the thing. I think that John realizes that. 
In fact, John in his gospel and then throughout the New Testament, do you know what, when, whenever they're talking about kind of this new relationship, this changed relationship you can have with others, you know what they oftentimes, the image that they give is the image of family. Now, I would suggest that oftentimes when we think of the image of family, we think, oh, family. It's so neat. And we think about framed pictures we have up in our walls and at home or, or the Instagram shots of the family. They're all smiling and laughing. If any of you have ever been in a family, you realize that is not the whole view of what a family is. You see, I think that, that John and others, that they use the word family very intentionally. Because they know, here's one of the things about family. You don't get to choose your family. God chooses it for you. From the beginning of time, God said, oh, I'm going to put these two together, and this is going to be their son, and this is going to be their daughter. (laughs) I can't wait to watch this. Right? And here's the thing, you know this about family, right? That sometimes in family, sometimes you have, you have some family that you, really, that, 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 that you really agree with on things and some that you don't. You have some that you really like and some that you don't. Some that you're like, oh, I am so glad we're related. And others that you're like, I cannot wait to get that DNA test back. There is no way we are related. Right? We all have that, don't we? Uh, my cousin's going to be here at the 1030. He's, he's, I'm, I'm mostly happy that he's a part of our family. But one of the things that he and I do is we talk sometimes about our family, right? We have some crazy family. We all do, right? I mean, we have, we have a cousin who lives up in the Chicago area, and he drove all the way down to Texas. Have I told you this? And, and he got some dirt, and he brought it all the way back. It is not a quick trip to Texas from Chicago. And he did all of that so that he could put it underneath the delivery table of his wife so that when his son was born, he could say that she was, he was born on Texas soil. <laughs> that is not normal. <laughs> right? I mean, I have a grandmother who's married a couple of times, and, and the first time she was married to someone before my grandfather, they lived in Kentucky, and apparently he had a real drinking problem, and so, and he wasn't a nice uh, drunk person, and so she literally chained him like a dog to the front porch when he was drunk, whenever he got drunk, so that he could sleep it off and he wouldn't hurt anybody, Right? Now, I mean, in one way, that's creative and helpful, and in another way, that's just, but there's nothing I could do. She's still my grandma no matter what. Right? And this is the thing. This is your family. And you can't just run. You can want to run, but you cannot just run from them. And that's really important. You see, I think far too many of us, when we look at the church, we think about it as just another kind of voluntary organization, like the Lions Club or the Rotary. And those things are great. But it's not the same thing. See, a part of our call is actually to be a part of a church where we are in relationship with others, including those with whom we do not always agree with. I mean, that's the beautiful thing is so that when people from the outside look at you, they could say, wow, you guys really disagree on a lot of things, but for some reason you're still together. Why would you still be together? And the answer as to why we are still together is because first and foremost, we are rooted in Jesus Christ, which means that we are brothers and sisters. See, here's the thing, and we've said this before, but you will not be shaped more like Jesus 
You will not become more patient if you're never with someone who is trying your patience. You will never learn gentleness if you're never tempted to be harsh because everyone just agrees with you. You will never learn what it means to be a person full of grace if you never have to forgive someone or if no one ever has to forgive you. And so I want to suggest that being shaped, by, 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 excuse me, by being in relationship with others, the more we grow into that reality, even when we don't want to, the more we will be shaped like Jesus, the more that we will grow in discipleship. It isn't always easy, but it is our calling. So here's what I want to suggest this morning which is that we have to be crystal clear here at ZPC that we believe that the good news that we have to share is that we can now be in relationship with Jesus Christ and that we can now have changed relationships with one another. But I want you to know that that growing in discipleship in that way will never be easy. Programs and events, those are easy because they are well-defined, they are measurable. There's usually, here's when it starts, here's where it stops. We can check it off the list. Relationships are much more ambiguous. Cultivating relationships are much more difficult. But it's the way that Jesus has chosen to live his life here. And it's the way that we are called to go out and live. And there are far too many churches, as it's been pointed out, who are either just groups of isolated individuals or they are groups who really kind of agree on everything together, which means they're probably not actually rooted deeply in Jesus Christ first and foremost. And so over the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is I want to help us to look at if we want to do more than just say, hey, let's be disciples, that's great, let's grow in discipleship, but actually wants to really do it, how must we get there? So let me just say a couple of things first and foremost this morning. First, if we really want to be about relationship, no matter how elementary it may seem, no matter how much you may say, oh, we know this, we know this, I have to keep repeating it. Because we have to talk about community and koinonia and fellowship and relationship. Why is it that John and the other and, and Jesus in the Gospels, when he talks about being unified, and Paul is always writing his letters, most of his letters are trying to help people become more like community. Why is it that we are always having to write about it? Because it is so doggone hard. And our society will always tell us, no, 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 no. Just find people who you always agree with. Just do that. That's really all you need. Why waste time with people who you don't even like? So we have to talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. Of course, another way that we have to do this is we have to make sure that we are shaping our structures in order to help cultivate relationships. Right? There's lots of different ways that we can do that. But one of the ways, and this is something that you guys, oh, gee whiz, he, won't, he always talks about this. And I do, which is home groups. Home groups are one of the greatest ways we have of cultivating relationships. First of all, with Jesus, right? If you want to grow and look more like Jesus, you cannot just think about Jesus for an hour during this time. You can't do it. You're not superhuman. 
I mean, that's like if you want to grow in your relationship with your spouse, just spend one hour a week with that person. Is that going to be helpful? All right. Premarital, some, some marital counseling here. I can see this. I'm here to tell you it's not helpful. That's, you can't grow a relationship over an hour a week. You can't do it. You have to do more. And, of course, home groups also then help us because we get to be in relationship with others. One of the things I've loved over the last three or four years that we've been doing this kind of a, in, a, in a stronger way is, is to see people who are now connected who weren't connected beforehand. I love being able to see that. Here's the other thing I like, which is being able to hear stories about people in home groups who kind of annoy other people. Right? These are what we call the EGRs, the extra grace required. Why? Because, see, here's the thing. When you, if you just come in here on Sunday morning, you can ignore everyone except for me. You really can. You can walk in here. I see you all do it. You can walk in here, boom, and then take off, right? I understand. But if you're sitting with somebody for an hour and a half in this group, you can't just do that. And I love that because it forces you to work on patience and gentleness and grace. But now here's another thing which is that we also have to cultivate or, or, or we have to shape our structures, not just our organization, but also our physical building. This is something that I think we oftentimes overlook. Let me say three things to you that ZPC has. They have a kitchen, they have beds or cots, and they have showers. Now you may be thinking to yourself, oh, well, that's great, big deal. Here's the thing. Do you know what happens because of the fact that we have a kitchen, we have cots, and we have showers? It means that people can spend longer with one another. So that when we do a great banquet and we say, hey, you're here for 72 hours together, it would be totally different. If by the time they got done after one day, we said, okay, that's great to see you. You guys all go home and then come back. First of all, hardly anyone would come back the next day. Right? They wouldn't come back on Friday. Right? And so, but, but, but what this does is, is you have all this time. This is a 72-hour retreat for you and God and to create space for others. But not only that, of course, what about building for God's kingdom, right? What have we been doing the last two weeks? We have been housing the homeless. If you didn't have a kitchen, if you didn't have a bed, if you didn't have showers, now they bring in some of those beds. Apparently they, ours aren't comfortable enough. But if they didn't have those things, guess what? They wouldn't be able to be here. And so our physical structure allows us to cultivate relationships in order to build for God's kingdom, to grow in our discipleship. And far too often, we overlook that. And part of the reason why I'm bringing this up this morning is because as we think about where we're going with our property, this is something that we far too often overlook. Our building can either shape relationships or hinder relationships. And it cannot be an afterthought or a nice thought. It has to be one of the driving thoughts as to why we do what we do. Now lastly, I just want to say this, and I am totally just piggybacking off of Palm Sunday, which is that if we want to cultivate relationships, you have to please hear me. We have to be a people who are willing to be steady, stable, and plodding. Remember, we talked about on Palm Sunday, all the crowds, they're super excited, they're jazzed, they're shouting, they're proclaiming, they've got palms, they've got cloaks, they're doing all these exciting things. And then a week later, they are gone. And amidst all of that, there's Jesus on his donkey. And what is he? He is Steady, he is stable, and he is 
plodding. Relationships, by their very nature, are steady and stable and plodding. And it was interesting because on that very first, on that Sunday, that Palm Sunday, when I did that, it was the same Sunday that Tiger Woods won the Masters. And, and, and they did an interview with him afterwards. And I didn't see the interview, but in the following week, I had several ZPCers say to me, did you see Tiger Woods' interview that afternoon? And I said, no. And here's just one little brief clip of that interview. And unfortunately, I didn't take care of the par fives, but I balanced it out by, by playing the par threes really well. So um, a little bit of give and take. And I was, I was just trying to plot my way around the golf course, which I was able to do. Did you hear what he said? I was trying to what? Plod. Dude's been listening to the podcast, right? You can't hit one shot and have it go in 72 holes to win. You have to go little by little, chipping by chipping. And of course, even to get to that place, it takes hours, days, decades of practicing and practicing and practicing. It is plodding our way through. Here's what I want you to know. I want ZPC to be exciting. I really do. I want it to be one of the most exciting things going on. But I want you to know that our being exciting pales in comparison to the importance of our being a place that cultivates relationships that are oftentimes steady and stable and plodding. I grew up in an incredibly exciting church. Every Sunday morning, it was exciting. You wanted people laughing and screaming and even running. You could go to a Pentecostal church and you would get it. And that's fine. Quite frankly, we could use a little bit more energy. I can't even get an amen on that. But what I also know is this, that what's going to help us to grow and our ability to be disciples and to grow into relationship is our willingness to go along, steady, stable, plodding, along distance in the same direction. So my hope and my prayer, sisters and brothers, is that we are a people who will be committed to cultivating relationships with God and with one another as a way of growing in discipleship that we may be shaped more like Jesus and that we may build for God's coming kingdom. Amen?